Thank you for joining us wherever you are. This podcast episode is brought to you by the Old Ways Actual Play Team. This actual play uses the 7th edition Call of Cthulhu tabletop role-playing game rules by Chaosium. This actual play is performed by adults and in an adult setting. While we try very hard to stick to language for all ages, listeners should know that this podcast may include mature themes. All content, including names, places, events, companies, and etc., that may bear resemblance to entities living or dead, is strictly coincidental. My name is Michael Diamond, and for tonight's game, I will be your keeper. Thank you for joining us again on an episode of the Old Ways Podcast. I am your keeper, Keeper Michael, and we turn to horror on the Orient Express tonight as our investigators desperately, desperately attempt to leave Venice. At the top of the show, as we always like to do, we'd like to thank our Patreon supporters and all of our listeners. It has been an amazingly magical ride so far, full of twists and turns and um, the gods know what else, uh, which we'll find out shortly. So I'd like to begin with introductions. To my right. Hello, this is Mike. I'm playing James Robert Fraser, and I'm very much looking forward to getting on a train and getting the funk out of Venice. Mm, yes, yes. The city, quite obviously, Mr. Fraser has turned. You have seen that now over the past 24 hours, and it is time to be gone. Uh, to Mr. Fraser's right. Hi, I'm Rena. I play Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy, and Venice has lost its charms for me. One of them in particular. Mm, yes. Although, who knows? hard to say what the future holds we shall see in that regard uh, at the end of the table hi i'm giles and i'm playing simon griffith and i recently had a close encounter with death that left me near that store yeah uh, it seems that the automatons of venice had a particular liking for we'll say appalachian sweetmeats and uh you escaped with your life congratulations i'm sure that won't happen again so to mr griffith's right Hi, this is Miranda, and I play Maggie Bellinger, and my freaking friends tranked me. You know, that's very, very true, although you're not necessarily aware of it at the moment because you're a little bit in that sort of muddled dream state. We'll have a longer conversation about all that very shortly. Um, but when you wake, I'm certain that there will be uh, several pointed questions in several directions as to what happened. Uh, and last but most certainly not least... I'm Martin, and I'm playing Richard Courtney. And uh, poor old Richard just can't get it together at the minute. He's um, dying quite a lot. Trousers are getting torn, and he can't even persuade Maggie to stop being a god. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I think the song remains the same sort of here, Professor. Trousers are a mess. You're completely unsorted as you're leaving another town. There's likely people will blame you for all the bad things that have happened recently. And you, you're only... What, maybe halfway through this grand quest Dr. Smith has put on you? So, yeah, um, likely with a, a bit of frustration leads you to the train station tonight. And that is where we'll begin. As we raise the curtain on this episode, we're going to see the investigators now huddling their way out of the hotel there on the Grand Canal. And they've managed to acquire a bath chair, uh, one which can wheel a rather dozing Maggie up towards the train station. We'll have to take the long way through the city as it seems that they've made sort of a general decision as to avoid the blackened Grand Canal and the Rios that are here. 
and they'll have to hoof it all the way north to the train station across the uh, many waiting islands of Venice. On this evening, that adventure awaits. The cobblestones and the paved streets beneath your feet are a little difficult to navigate. Uh, A couple things I would like to know. Who has taken the job of pushing Miss Bellinger if you want to relieve Paul of that duty? Because Paul is sort of prepared to make sure that she gets where she needs to go. He seems almost fixated on making sure that the chair stays level and that his patient stays in one piece. I think that unless um, Professor Courtney um, volunteers for that particular task, um, Mr. Fraser will uh, take the uh, take the chair in hand. Okay. Sounds good. I think Richard is far too worn out and weak to do that at the minute. Yeah, you are a little bit under, um, we'll say, yeah. standard. Yes? A bit wrung out to dry at this point. Now, speaking of running out to dry, luckily uh, for you, Mr. Fraser, it seems that you've been able to acquire dry clothes walking around there in the, the square as far as uh, how flooded it had been. It really soaked everything that you had. So uh, a trip to the hotel was certainly in order to at least maintain some sort of... Absolutely, yes. One has to maintain appearances and uh, um, have some sort of sense of dignity. Right. I would like to know, then, how careful you're being this evening as you go towards the train station. So careful in what sense? Um, there are very few footpaths beyond the Rios here of Venice, at least in this lower section towards the Adriatic. Uh, they get more plentiful than the more northerly you go. And so I guess my question is, as you leave the hotel, are you trying to avoid San Marco Square entirely? Luckily for you all, the tide has gone out at this point, and so the water level has dropped off to, to normal. I think probably if possible, and we will we'll need to keep to um, fairly reasonable roads because obviously we're pushing this chair about, so you know we'll run into difficulties if we're uh, going down particularly badly maintained cobbled streets and that, that sort of thing. So bearing in mind what's happened on the piazza um, recently, I think if, if we can avoid it without making our lives considerably more difficult, then that, that would certainly be Mr. Fraser's suggestion. All right. And then, Lady Elizabeth, for your part, given the slick streets that are here, I assume that you're going to keep the cane at the ready or use it to sort of brace yourself against any slippery passages? Yes, and also I'm feeling very tired as it is, so it's uh, slow going. So you continue to make your way out of Venice proper, the sort of touristy portions of it that are very, very common. And you get through that first section. You even get towards the easiest overland bridge here that is gettable to you that you would know about would be the Rialto. You had a pretty bad mix up there a a night ago. So if you're going to avoid that, I guess that's my question is, are you planning on avoiding the Rialto bridge? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for two for two very specific reasons one being the black shirts that are, we know are almost certainly going to be hanging about there and also because of whatever it is that was moving around in the uh, in the water when we were last there okay so you have to turn westward 
which is not a direction that you've gone <laughs> very much at all recently. And you sort of pick your way through the streets here until you find another portion of the Grand Canal where there is a bridge. And that is far to the west. It leads you just in a a different section, given your memories. This would be more towards the spot where you saw the woman get condemned for being a witch on your way back up to Gramancy's Doll Factory. You cross that bridge there, which does not have any black shirts at it. It's actually got uh, some locals. Still, there isn't a ton of tourist traffic out, but there are a few uh, locals here that are trying to fish out of the canal or get away from the heavier, denser smoke clouds that are around from all the burning that's going on. And it's from that portion that you're able to pick your way back through to head north. And you end up getting a couple of streets here in Venice that go your way. They go north. And you get closer to a a rather large friary. And I'd like you all to make a spot hit roll. Richard fails with a 76 over 64. I pass with a 53. I'm going to use my new dice tray for this. That is an extreme success, 12 under 80. Okay. Mr. Griffith? That would be a fail, 72. Right. I'll give I'll give you a couple of things in a couple of different ways here, given that there are different levels of successes. So for you, Lady Elizabeth, uh, you see that the front facade of this friary has broken down a little. And it seems anyway, just by your first glance, that there are a line of people here. And it looks like a soup line of some sort, a bread line for people to, to go in and gather food. And from your vantage point, Fraser, you see something a slightly different. That is not a bread line, although it could be understood why it would look like that. The people in this line are deeply sick. And you can pick out with those very sharp eye you have, you can pick out that several of them have these deep black splotches on the backs of their neck. That sign of whatever plague is infecting Venice. And Inside the friary, mm-hmm. or should I say above it there, above this building, you see that there is a, a fairly thick black column smoke that comes out of it. And you're very concerned that this might be something you want to avoid entirely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll uh, pause that and say, I think we need to give this uh, friary a, a very wide berth. Uh, there is undoubtedly infection there. That... Uh, that smoke does not signify anything good. Oh dear. Yeah, once it's been pointed out, um, you begin seeing what he's talking about. And at the edge of the building, there's a couple of steps and they're helping people. There are members of the clergy who are helping people inside. You see signs on the walls. And unfortunately for you, Lady Elizabeth, because you're really the only person that has any sort of direct spoken Italian study done these signs appear to invite people inside for hope and help and that is not what is happening inside you're fairly certain i shudder a bit mm, something terrible is happening here yes a priory indeed i'm gonna sidelong glance from mr fraser at that particular quip <laughs> question keeper mike mm-hmm. we see the priests helping the men but do we also see black shirts 
Oh, absolutely. They're standing far to the sides and sort of into the shadows, but you can see men in that very common uniform for Mussolini's men. They're giving these people that are walking in and the clergy too a wide berth, but they're there with rifles and you doubt anyone would be able to get away if they decided to uh, make a break for it. Well, let's hope that uh, when we are away from here, the, the plague subsides. If uh, if this thing that we have uh, has got any kind of connection with it. Continuing on. Luckily for our investigators, the sharp eyes of Mr. Fraser afford them the opportunity to turn down an alley and then make their way around this uh, rather grisly scene. And as you make your way north, you are afforded several more land bridges. And eventually, within 45 minutes or so, you begin to see sight of the train station and the sheer mass of people who are beginning to collect at the train station. You would be quick to remember, Mr. Fraser, that you know that the lines other than the Orient Express are shut down. And so it's going to be very uh, interesting to see what takes place at the train station. Do we need to help our tickets at the ticket office at the station, yeah? Yes, you absolutely do need to pick up your tickets. Um, uh, gentlemen, ladies, uh, if you'd care to wait here, I, I'll, uh, I'll see if I can uh, forge my way through the crowd to get to the ticket office to collect our tickets. Uh, hopefully the fact that... Uh, we are, already have booked tickets on a train that will actually be leaving the station today. It means that I won't have to wait in this queue. I do hope so. We need to be out of here as quickly as possible. Aye. Yes. This is like the mother of all queues. I think Mr. Fraser will um, stride purposefully forward and uh, see if he can see somebody who looks like they are wearing the uniform of uh, somebody who works in the uh, at the station. Okay. You take a very circuitous route, picking your way through the people. You sort of weave this serpent's tail until you eventually get to the front of the office. There are several packs of different people here, but from what it appears to your eyes, anyway, that you don't see any infected here, at least from, from as far as you can see. Most of these men are here, and uh, they are doing their best to sort of keep the crowd in line because they only have so many people here. There's only so many rifles amongst them. And there's probably a good couple hundred people here that are desperate to get out of the city and have what you would say cause to be able to leave. That said, you make your way to the office and the office is like a pack of sardines with people. Uh, so you, you can get the, the door open and there's an awful lot of people inside who are shouting and hollering at the clerks or trying to book passage, saying that they'll pay exorbitant prices to get out of the city. And you're hearing already before you get to the counter that they're only accepting passengers who have pre-booked tickets. Uh, there are no spaces for anyone booking new passage. Mm -hmm. And so people are, are people are being turned around pretty quickly. And so you eventually probably within a couple of minutes, get to the front of the desk and you see a rather haggard clerk carefully wipes his brow and, and sort of puts his handkerchief in his pocket and says, can I help you, sir? 
I'm sure that you can, yes, indeed. Um, You look to be uh, very, very busy today, so I won't take up too much of your time. Um, We have, um, my party and I have uh, pre-booked tickets for the Orient Express uh, under the name Fitzroy, Lady Elizabeth Fitzroy. He seems to brighten almost. Just uh, one moment, one moment. And he turns. Of course, of course. Take your time. As he turns, you see him go towards a box. Like this filing box there in the middle of the center of these three gentlemen who are helping people at the counter. And you see him open the box. And then all of a sudden, eyes around this room begin to look at that box. And he plucks out six tickets from this container. I'm going to be on high alert to make sure my pocket doesn't get picked when I read these tickets. He comes towards the window again very carefully and sets them down. You see him begin to document them that they'd been picked up and that, you know, Mm -hmm. this has been, this has been done this. And then I'll show him identification if he needs to see that. He absolutely asks for identification. And then everything for you seems to slow down a little bit. As he sort of folds these tickets up and he stacks them in a rather nice wallet that he's about to hand over through the window. Right. And there's Mm -hmm. not much here of the window other than, a stylish uh, wrought iron that keeps someone from <laughs> clamoring over the counter and giving a clerk a piece of their mind. And he pushes the wallet through the window and he says, have a very nice trip. Thank you. I very much appreciate it. Um, and uh, as I take the wallet, I will also pass him a note of a, of a generous tip. Um, and uh, I hope the rest of the day isn't too trying for you. He takes the um, tip and thanks you, nods and puts the money in a very, we'll say, uh, through through a very well-worn action from wrist to elbow into his pocket as mm-hmm. to not well, seem... Very discreet, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. And when you turn to head back towards the door, you've got 15 sets of eyes looking at you. Excuse me. Excuse me. Coming through. You wouldn't sell those, would you? Um, I'm afraid I'm uh, not able to do so. Uh, I, I do apologize. I'd offer you a hundred sterling for them. Well, that's uh, that's awfully kind of you, but uh, unfortunately, the matter is beyond my control. Other offers begin burbling up from the crowd as you pick your way towards the, the door. Politely smile and nod and say, oh, very much appreciated, but uh, I'm afraid I can't help you. Uh, you get pleaded with near as the door opens. You hear all sorts of um, stories that get told, right? Uh, I need to reach my sick mother and... I do sympathize. I do sympathize. I wish there was something I could do. As you breach the door, the 15 sets of eyes that you leave become a sea full of people looking at you coming out of the office, not haggard, not worried, but almost... Well, happy to be reassured. And your lack of negativity when leaving the office is palatable to the people around you. And so you may be out of the frying pan, so to speak, of the office. But there are hungry eyes. I'm very glad that I reloaded my revolver and um, um, placed it in, uh, in, in its holster un- under my jacket before we came out. Simon, this crowd is a powder keg, and it's a very uncomfortable one. 
for you. Um, the professor is deeply hurt. Miss Bellinger is doped as best she can. Uh, it looks like Paul is doing his best to try to keep her from drooling all over herself. So he continues to readjust her neck to make sure that she maintains an, an, an air of, of proper travel for someone who's sadly just a little worn out from the travel. That's what he keeps telling people. She's not sick, is she? No, no, just a worn out from the travel. It's all right. She'll be fine. You're getting a lot of eyes, especially having someone in a, a bath chair. A lot of people seem to be very concerned about being close to you. So it does act a little bit in your favor as a bubble forms a little bit around you. They want to give you space. No one's crowding you, which is nice. But as you see Mr. Fraser come out of the ticketing office, you watch several people turn and watch him leave. And you see some people call after him. But under that sort of tense clamp, you look at your watch and check the time. And you know that the Orient Express is going to arrive fairly soon. I'm assuming that I have a trolley for our trunks and luggage. Yeah, absolutely. Then I will be with the trolley and I will actually, I have my pistol on me. Uh, Obviously, I have not taken out Mr. Thompson. Uh, That would get us a quick trip to the train, but not in the way we wanted to. I will be watching Mr. Fraser to make sure no one is following him. And otherwise, try and just be subtle with and understated by being the luggage boy for the group. Yeah, I guess I think that's reasonable. Only that only except for the fact that you're built sort of like an NFL linebacker. And so being subtle and unassuming and I can take this from personal experience, is very difficult at your size. It's very difficult to blend in, right? It's like trying to blend in somebody who is physical for a, a, their their livelihood. And you are, you were anyway, you know, a year or so ago, you were in the mines or you were at war or whatnot. So you do your best, but you position the, the cart to try to give, at least give the party some cover if something were to happen. That's about the best you can do. And as for keeping an eye on people who might be following him, which one? Are there individuals actually following him? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then I'm going to keep an eye on Jim instead of all of them. Okay. To see who gets close to him. Yeah, nobody's probably getting within 10 10 or so feet at this point. But there are, we'll say, at least three individuals that you pick out. A couple of men, one woman who are pursuing him after he leaves the ticket office. I would like to say that um, I have my tickets placed very snugly underneath my jacket in a difficult-to-get-at place, so if anybody does try and get hold of them, uh, hopefully we'll know all about it before they manage to get them. Well, they do call it a, a pickpocket for a reason. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. You return to the group, and so you can pick out that Simon is eyeing you on your way in. You don't know if he's looking at you or maybe the people around you or behind you, but uh, you can feel the presence of people as you move through the crowd. You begin to hear the first sounds of an arriving locomotive. It's evening now as you stand here, as you gather together again at the ticket office, and uh, the sun is, is setting in Venice, and you do not want to be here another night. You know that in your bones. I think we should get to the platform as quickly as possible. I, I agree, Lady E, but Jim, a word with you, if you'll come over here for a sec. 
Well, let's just um, speak while we move. We need to get onto this train as quickly as possible. I understand, but I think you need to be in the middle of all of us. Well, that's fine. Let's do that then. Lady A, Professor, I think you need to flank him so we don't lose our tickets to the mob. Make it more difficult for people to access him. You're being followed. I'm well aware of that. Uh, where, where do I stand? Just you stand here beside me, uh, Professor. Let's just go. Okay. Move and speak. Move and speak. E- exactly, lady. Okay. Come along, Miss Ballinger. Let's get you on the train. Here's what I'd like. I think it's only fitting that we make a group luck roll at this point. Because you're all together again. And I'd like to see if fate has something in store for you here before you gather on the train. So whomever has the lowest luck may roll their luck. Is it still me? I don't know. Why don't we all tell the, the listeners out there what some, how much luck you have? 22. 31. 43. 55. 35. Then it's uh, on your head, Simon. We believe in you. But do the fates. But my dice don't believe in me. That's a 70. Okay. You all are making your way to the train now that it's beginning to arrive. And um, Paul has Maggie in front. He's uh, beginning to call to people in front of him. Make way. Make way. Coming through. Uh, Very, very few people are listening to Paul. Mostly because he's speaking English. And you hear him begin to vary it up now and say it in French. And surprisingly, Paul's French is pretty good. And a few more people turn and look. And he seems to try to change to Italian. And he makes a complete mockery of it. And that gets actually a few more people to look at him. And then some some pe- more people make way. Um, so behind him, I will ask, who's going to be directly on Paul? Is that you, Lady Elizabeth? Or... If we're putting Mr. Fraser in the middle. It's it's probably going to be me, yeah. Okay. So we'll say the three of them get to the platform portion that they need to be. They get to a, a swinging gate, basically, that the Orient Express staff hold fast ticket holders. And then behind them, you, Mr. Fraser, arrive after you are available to show that you have the proper tickets. Sure. Simon... Are you putting the professor in front of you and bringing up the rear like a caboose with all of the assorted luggage? Yes. Okay. So the crowd, of course, keep in mind, this entire time is moving and changing like a school of fish. Okay. People are not standing still. They're moving around, trying to find a way to get onto a train. Uh, You can feel the crowd's desperation here now that it has picked up, right? Almost the pulse of the people has gone up another 20 beats as freedom arrives at a price. They let you in as soon as they see the case. They begin opening the gate for you and uh, Maggie, Paul, and Lady Elizabeth. And so you begin getting filtered through and they are taking you one person at a time. And you see two other porters holding on to the sides of the saloon-style door gate that sits on the fence line here. And they are holding it fast because the people nearby are trying to get in. As you continue to filter in, when you get to these gates, Professor, uh, you in your somewhat 
wounded state. You're still pretty in a pretty horrid state right now. You pitch forward a little bit and you get behind Mr. Fraser and then you get through the gates. And when you do, the case that's in your hands bumps against one of these gates and the porter lets out a yelp as the case that you have bumps into his hand. You didn't fail the luck roll though. The trouble for you, Simon, is that when he loses control of this gate, that gate whips forward. And when it does, it hits the, this rack that you have with you, this sort of trolley. And when that gate comes into contact with the trolley, it also hits the side of the case that the Thompson sits in. And it spills off onto the floor. And you're pushing from behind, I assume? Yes, I am. So you see this as it tumbles out of control and it lands on its side in a scissor position. So it has popped open and now sits vertically. It's pointed back towards you. I assume that the Thompson's inside, but broken down, yes? It's in the false bottom, broken down, yes. It doesn't come out of the false bottom at all. But what does happen is the clothes and the items that cover that are exposed. And inside of there, several of your personal effects spill out onto the ground. Now, the gate itself is clamped around on one side on this cart trolley. Now you can't get any further in, and you've got this case on the ground, so there's a bit of a chaos here, and I'd like to know how you're going to handle it. Well, from what you're telling me, the trolley is in the gate, clamped, correct? Yes, the gate is, yes, the, the trolley itself is clamped into the gate. And my, my trunk is not clamped is to the side, on its side vertical, as you said, scissored open, and it's facing me. So I'm going to step forward and shove as many of them back in as possible, as fast as I can, and close it, and then lift the trunk. I am assuming that I am strong enough to lift it by myself. Yeah, I think there's no question whether or not you're loud enough, you're, um, you're strong enough to pick it up by yourself. I think the question is, is can you do so? Can you get all your items inside before the false bottom pitches open because of the weight? Because the Tom, the Thompson's pieces are not at all light. Um, so I think if you're trying to do that in all sort of one motion, then I'm going to impose a hard dex roll and we'll see what happens. 26 under 80. Okay. You step to the right and you scoop and then you flip the case up. It's a Herculean effort you perform that, um, well, really any porter would be a little jealous of your abundant strength. You scoop it up and you slam it down because it's the only move you have on top of the actual cart trolley. The case is shut, but it's not latched. So that is something that you'll have to do but you are able to continue without any sort of malady uh, as the, the porter tries to redouble his own efforts to open the gate back up for you. This all takes place for the rest of you in a few seconds. And with the din of the crowd behind you and the porters of the Orient Express and the staff pleasantly urging you to board, I think that's the most respectful way to say it. You don't really see a lot of what goes on behind you. They're very concerned about getting Miss Bellinger on to the train, and they have brought out a 
a ramp for her to board the train in the bachelor. And then obviously there will be a, a, a very similar stairs for you to board as well. A lady Elizabeth, we'll, we'll say that they're, they're a lot more, uh, we'll say they're half steps basically. Right. So it's a much easier grade for you to get up than trying to go up full steps. Once I'm on the other side through the gate, first thing I will do is stop buckle closed the trunk. Mm-hmm. And then I'll reach in my pocket and hand a bill to the porter I banged his hand and say me scoozy. He nods and takes the money. You all filter into the train as the rest of the booked passengers board as well. It's a, uh, a rather trying time for most of the passengers. The Orient Express welcomes you back with a quiet atmosphere very dulled tones as far as the atmosphere goes. Uh, a pleasant smell, clean uh, accommodations, and a staff that is willing and ready to assist you with any needs you have. And so getting settled on the train is sort of the first order of business. Uh, you have very similar accommodations as far as your layout as you did last time when you reward the train, so that is helpful. You can also tell that the train is not full. Would it uh, be, would it have been possible um, during our wait in the afternoon uh, for me to uh, use the, the hotel's telephone to call ahead to a hotel in Trieste to make uh, arrangements for rooms for us when we arrive there? Uh, that's a little bit of a kind of a retcon, but I think so. Yeah, I think I think we'll play the, the, the ball as it lies in this case, uh, given the situation with Maggie and given some of the other uh, uh, sort of preparations you've made. You just it's either slipped your mind or you just haven't had the time to call ahead. Sure. OK. OK. Miss Bellinger, you are blissfully asleep, it seems, induced by something. A very sharp prick is about the last thing that you remember. And then with the flood of medicine came the dizziness. And you think you sort of remember that Mr. Fraser was around. You have this weird sound in your ear. There's sort of a ringing in your left ear. It's uncomfortable at the first minute or so that it exists. And then after a few moments, it sort of settles into a train whistle. Everything that you can sense is a little muted words textures you feel a, a fine fabric underneath you there's a, a rather pleasant cushion and then your body feels like it's in motion again you hear a voice in this space she's coming around up you're not really sure whose voice that is, but it seems to be somewhat familiar. And your eyes try to focus. And just for a half second or two, you see the Paul's face fairly close to yours. And he seems to be shining a light in your eyes. You can feel his fingertips on your eyebrows in your face. I did give you quite a bit, didn't I? Well... No matter. We'll get comfortable. You feel yourself jostled a little bit back and forth. And then you 
go flat as far as your perceptions go. You sink into the cushion and you everything goes black again. Mr. Fraser, Paul informs you after the train gets moving that he's made Miss Bellinger comfortable and that he's a little concerned that she hasn't come around yet. Um, she's getting close, he thinks. Um, she made some movements in there. Uh, he's going to want to be a little careful with her as far as anybody coming in and out for the next couple of hours. Uh, he doesn't want to... What exactly? He, he just doesn't want to spook. I don't want to spook her. Why did you um, give her such a, a hefty dose? Uh, I mean, surely... A- the dosage you provision, I don't really understand these things, but uh, the dosage you provision is, is based on the uh, the heightened weight of the subject. You give them too much, is it not dangerous? In most cases, that is true, yes. With this specific drug I was using, it's about onset time. My concern was getting her to give up her divinity for a moment in a quick state rather than wait five minutes for the medicine to take hold. You wanted to knock her out as quickly as possible, is what you're saying, isn't it? It's a rather direct way of saying it, yes, but I, I, I think I, I think she'll be perfectly fine. She just has to come around. Yes, but she will oh, come around. Yes, yes, you know, yes. Her, her heart rate and pulse are where they need to be. Splendid. And, and what do you consider her state of mind will be when she does awaken? I don't... I wouldn't presume to say what the lady might feel or say, but I think it is probably a good bet that she will be uh, a little upset with uh, the group for having taken such a... No, 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 that's that's not what I mean. What I mean is uh, she was acting somewhat uh, impulsively and irrationally before she uh, went to sleep. Um, Is that likely to continue when she awakens? Is this a, a temporary state of mind or is it something more serious and concerning? You get a little worried because what he does is not respond. He looks around. Paul, if I may call you Paul. Certainly, sir. The time for beating around the bush is over. I think we need to be blunt and direct with uh, with each other, or all of us. We are uh, involved in some very serious business, and uh, I think we can speak openly and plainly with each other. Yes? Yes, very well. This is what I will tell you from my opinion having worked with uh, patients in the past at places like Sherrington. Yes. Miss Bellinger has suffered a severe mental trauma. She has been overcome by a sense of personal importance. We could call it an egotistical uh, portion of her personality. We could call it something as terrible as megalomania. She believes herself to be a god or a goddess. She's talking in matters of divinity. She's been mumbling stuff for the past several hours now. It's been hard to hear, but as I was getting her through the city, I I heard some of the things that she said, and so I'm genuinely concerned. The good news, if there is any, is that you have someone with you who has dealt with these conditions before. And so what I would recommend to you and to Lady Elizabeth, as she is my employer, is that Miss Bellinger needs time and she needs a professional to sit with her and sort out whether or not this malady is something that can be worked through and properly diagnosed 
and treated, or if she is in such a state that we must look at other avenues, potentially pharmaceutical ones, potentially long-term care. I understand, yes. Um, Yes, uh, it is a very difficult situation to be in. Time is not on our side. What do you recommend? Um, When she awakens, do you believe that she will be a danger to herself and and others? This, um, This delusion that she has, is it likely to... Well, I mean, she she was acting in a very bizarre fashion. I, I, I'm concerned that that if this continues, then, uh, well, I mean, we're not going to have to restrain her or anything like that, are we? I don't believe so. Other than the incident in the square, to be perfectly honest, sir, I don't remember a time that she was malevolent toward anyone. I I don't think that she came to be aggressive with any of you directly, did she? Not as such, but uh, her behaviour was so erratic that uh, it was a, a it was a great concern uh, to us that she might, well, do herself harm through through her, her actions, uh, or cause herself to come to harm. Mm, no. And that, uh, and, and that uh, might in turn lead to uh, one or more of uh, us coming to harm as well, if you see where, what I mean. Yes, I, I, I do. You are all uh, as a party together in sickness and in health in that matter. I would perhaps suggest then that I have an opportunity to talk with Miss Bellinger at length, perhaps when we get to Trieste, and work out some sort of pathway for her to walk. Now, many, many people who go through these traumatic experiences and who believe themselves to be in this sort of state might be walked to um, a more workable position, mentally speaking. So you could take a patient who was violently attached to specific ideas of harm, and you could work that sort of aggression into something much more productive. They could see that they didn't have to lash out in anger and hurt things to be to be noticed. And perhaps what it truly is, is Miss Bellinger believes that she's never noticed, that she's not listened to. And so it has had this eruption inside of her mental state where she feels like she will act as if she has all the power that God could offer. And so is there a way that we step her back to a, um, a more empowering position, perhaps for her mental state? I don't know, but I am desperate to try. Yes, well, um, this is all uh, very uh, well and good from a, a, an academic perspective, but in practical terms, what does it mean for us when Miss Bellinger wakes up? I, I don't quite know. It will depend on the. I don't it will depend on what position we find her in, what mental state she has. Will she wake up and assume that she is? Dionysus reborn? Is she herself again? Is she somewhere in the middle? I don't know. We have a few hours on this train ride, yes? Yes, we have uh, just under three hours, I believe it is. Um, Will she come round by the time we arrive in Trieste, do you think? Oh, yes, I would say so. Well, what I would suggest then is, um, I'm assuming that you wish to uh, sit with her in order to uh, care for her when she awakens, uh, just to be on the safe side. Um, May I suggest that somebody sits with you and uh, 
I think given that uh, she and Professor Courtney uh, appear to have grown close over the last uh, few days, um, it seems so much longer than that, um, that, uh, that perhaps he is the best man to, uh, to be there with you when, when she wakes up and, uh, if necessary, to lend you a hand if, she, if her behavior becomes uh, unmanageable. I'm happy to have the professor. He's a, an academic. His uh, mind might be a self, but uh, I would say, sir, if you've seen Professor Courtney move recently, he's a bit out of the weather as well. So I could treat them both. It, I could turn the room into sort of a, a triage room for a few hours. Well, if, if you think that's best from a medical perspective, then um, absolutely, yes, please do so. Uh, I was more thinking that uh, his would be a friendly face for her to, to wake up to. Uh, oh, certainly. Mine, perhaps not, not quite so much, <laughs> given the, the, uh, the slight altercation uh, at the top of the, the clock tower that we had. Oh, well, yeah, I hadn't heard. Oh, but it, it's nothing. It's, it's a, sp- a small matter. <laughs> but, uh, yes, indeed. Um, uh, I, I needn't go into details, but um, but I think, uh, by and large, uh, the professor, I think, would probably the, be uh, the most amenable sight for her to see when, uh, when she awakens, uh, along with yourself, of course. Anyway, um, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you for your candor. Um, I have some matters to attend to for her ladyship, um, and uh, I, will, uh, I will leave you to it. Uh, if you need anything, of course, please do call upon me. You will be the first to mind. And I'll leave him to it. And... Um... Paul at that point will likely go and knock on Richard's stateroom door and see if he can get a conversation going with uh, the professor. Uh, yes. Uh, professor Courtney, may I, um, may I speak with you for a moment? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, come on in. I was looking to uh, see if you needed any sort of wound binding or any additional med- medical care. Um, well, I'm... Not doing particularly well, to be honest, but um, I was hoping a few nights rest might uh, might sort everything out. I definitely agree. Uh, I was wondering, I'm going to be working with Miss Bellinger when she wakes up. Ah, yes. How, how is she? Well, I, I don't quite know, sir. Um, she is still a little groggy from the medicine. I'm sort of hoping that you might be willing to um, perhaps uh, assist me a uh, mentally so to speak working through some uh, academia oh well yeah yeah yes of course i mean anything i can do to help would be um a, a good idea um you don't think she'll remember the events that led up to uh, uh your sedating her do you um is there sort of like a, a memory loss prior um it's possible but if one thing this trip so far has taught me is that uh, underestimating one miss bellinger is a, a bad idea Yes, it's it's probably a good idea if we're both there, I think, in that case. Yeah, so if you would join me, um, I'm uh, treating her in, in my room, if, if you would join me, and then uh, perhaps uh, we can assist her if she has to wake up and we can speak with her about what state she's in. Uh, yes. So. Um, I might see if we can, uh, I don't know, maybe get, a, get some tea or something as well. Certainly. Um, I find that quite often calms the nerves Mm. Mm. absolutely Professor Paul takes you down to his room Mm -hmm. uh, where the uh, bed here has been converted on one side to 
old Miss Bellinger. You see the bath seat isn't in here any longer. It's been taken away, you imagine, by staff. And there is another bench there where he invites you to sit down and get propped up and he'll he'll take a look at your sort of wounds there. I don't believe, and someone can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but I don't believe when we left the clock tower, there was any sort of... I didn't give you anything. No. There were no, you know, funsies here at the end. No. no. So we need to do that now that, that Venice is clear. And so who would like some additional things? Rewards. Give me... Phobias? Manias? Mm, well, perhaps. I'm talking several things, actually. Uh, okay, so I'll go through the rewards for... Venice, as I see them, uh, it is something that uh, I think is important to delineate sort of some of the things that you got right. And uh, we'll reward based off that. And then I'll even roll some luck for everybody. How about that? Ooh, yes. yes, please. You have enough luck. I do not. I have 35. It's enough. Okay. Uh, so for recovering... The simulacrum piece. We're going to do some collective luck here. I was just going to say, may I have some luck, sir? No, you especially may not. So what I'll do is, based off the reward, is I will give you sanity. That's sort of how the reward system works here. You'll recover some of that. And then we will go from there. Remember that you can't go higher than your maximum sanity score. So retrieving the piece, the leg itself, will earn all of you three points of sanity. You are one piece closer to assembling Miss Bellinger's mecha costume, which will come at some point. For surviving the Venice Plague, because it is possible to get infected, you will gather up another two points of sanity. So we didn't get infected then. Good to know. You did not. And then for getting out Venice without being arrested, which is also a possibility, you should get another point of sanity. So by a show of acknowledgement, vocal acknowledgement, who is sleeping from here to Trieste? Obviously you are, Miss Bellinger. We know you're sleeping. You get it automatically. Um, I will doze. Um, I mean, it's, it's it's between five five thirty and eight o'clock at night, so it's not really a nighttime journey. But um, I think Mister Fraser will, will will likely doze. Okay. Richard is probably tired, but he will be keeping a close eye on Maggie. And Lady E is going to be looking through her books, trying to find more information on this fire that happened. Simon will be trench sleeping. So not sleeping, but sort of sleeping. Uh, lightly dozing, ready to pop awake if necessary. Understood. Okay. Since Miss Bellinger is the only one actually sleeping, granted it's she it's, has drug abuse. <laughs> no, no, actually, um, she has been sleeping, so she sleeps aboard the Orient Express between two locations and gains another point of sanity back. And now I'm going to roll some luck for you all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you may all have eight points of luck. 
Wow. Is this in addition to development phase lock rolls? No, it's just um, because I'm not doing an actual development phase. All right. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm just giving you some luck because you've made it out of a city. And it seems like fun. And if you have luck, then you'll spend it until you don't. Shall we set our starting sanity to what our current sanity is now for the next city? Or do we leave it as what it was set up for um, previously? I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, you should be able to set it to uh, the current now for the new city because you won't be under the same sort of effects, right? A day, a, uh, enough time will have passed where you won't be so much concerned about indefinite. I'm only two points off my max sand now. We'll see about that. I came out of Venice with one more point of sanity than I went into it. Mm. Perhaps you've grown in resolve with uh, some of the rest of your compatriots, with uh, some of the actions they've taken. A few hours later, the group begins to feel the change of pace in the locomotive. This is something that's not terribly unfamiliar to you, but you know that when it happens, you'll be arriving at the next location. By watch, both Fraser and Simon feel the effects of the train. It's getting close to eight, and so the both of them feel this change and rouse immediately. Lady Elizabeth, so far your investigations into some of the cult works that you have haven't revealed much about the fire I mean, other than the stuff you've seen before you are now looking for a German teacher <laughs> because you need to know more to read some of the rest of the tome that you have at least the one that you've opened or can open and when the train does make its approach into the station there's a it's a feeling that comes over the train a little bit and that's feels like it's being buffeted a little bit by the wind here. It's at this point, Miss Bellinger, that you feel the massive carpet that was on top of your head lift and you open your eyes and the first person you see is Richard, who's propped up across the uh, stateroom from you. Richard, where are we? Uh, uh Mag- Maggie, it's, it's, it's good to see you awake again. Why am I so dry? Where where are my children? Where's the water? Um, uh, we're on a train. We're on a train? Uh, yes. Yes. No, no, I need to be in Venice. I, um, I, we're not in Venice anymore. We're, we're going to Trieste. Well, what will Venice do without me, though? Trieste sounds lovely, but... I think they'll be fine. I think everything will be okay. You you just need a little rest. A little... Richard, I feel like I've been... I've been hit by a train. I've been... How long have I been asleep for? Oh, not too long. Only a... I don't know, about an hour. Maybe two. And you put me on a train. Well, that's where we were heading. Miss Bellinger, why don't you roll... Pow for me. It's an extreme success. Very good. Four under 75. You get this moment of clarity that comes over you. It's it's a break in this shroud, a bend in the halo, so to speak. And you come to the realization that some events happened in 
Venice that you don't rightly recall. And you get overcome by the concern that your memory is a little gapped. You don't really remember the entirety of the clock tower now. You remember going into it. You remember in sort of these flashes that somebody was trying to get you to jump off the clock tower. And so things are getting a little jumbled for you. At least in your divine persona. You begin to doubt. Maggie might look quizzical at first and then just start crying. Oh, um, Maggie, uh, we, we have some tea here. Look, look, um, everything will be okay. Um, Richard will go over and sort of put his arm around her. Hey, it'll, be, it'll be fine. Paul slides back into the room. Oh, you're awake. Oh, um, it's all right. He takes up a concerned position near where you are, Richard. Paul, I'm worried. I don't, I don't seem to remember things. It's all right. You will work through it. You've had a, a strenuous journey, but uh, we've managed to leave Venice. And, um, well, we have uh, the other side of the uh, Adriatic to look at now. Hmm? Yes, well, we, we got the leg, correct? All the pieces are here. I've collected a steamer trunk just as you've asked. All the pieces are right here. He taps under the, the bench bed that he sits on. Not far at all. Uh, you see, every, everything's in order. Everything's okay. Uh, Maggie would probably calm down just a little bit. Well, I, I think it's... I, I'll have some of that tea. Yes, I think that's the right thing to do. Um, yes, I, I always find a nice hot cup of tea helps in a situation like this. Paul, is there anything you can do about... I don't remember things. Well, I was hoping that you and I would get the opportunity once we're resting here in the city at one of the hotels to sit down and talk about it and maybe work through what you do remember so we can make sense of what you might not. It's very common with uh, situations that are full of energy or maybe too much excitement and that can happen. I've dealt with it before. I'd really appreciate that, Paul. Of course. Anything I can do to help. He gives you somewhat of a, a sheepish grin and says, uh, I'm going to get some things ready for us to disembark. We should be at the station here in, in a minute or two. And he steps out. Now you see, everything's going to be just fine. Richard, do you remember what happened? Did I do anything horrible or terrible? Well... Is that why I can't remember? I don't know. Well, why don't you tell me what you can remember and I'll I'll tell you what's missing? Well, I, I don't... I don't really remember one, much. I I remember we went to the clock tower and that uh, some something wanted me to jump off off from the top of the clock tower and I I do I remember walking the the streets alone. You all were busy and I I don't remember much else. No, um well I mean that's pretty much the size and the shape of it. I mean uh, you were in the clock tower, and I believe Mr. Fraser um, stopped you after you opened the doors, and, and that was okay. I got slightly murdered by some some mannequins, but that was nothing to do with you. That was not, not your fault in any way, shape, or form at all. Um, and then we, uh, we went to the bottom of the clock tower. 
um, having retrieved the leg, so that that was all fine. And um, yes, uh, you um, you did go on a little adventure, but um, I mean, perfectly normal to want to paddle in the sea, I suppose. Oh, do you remember me trying to push Fraser from a clock tower and then trying to get an angry mob to murder him? Well, I'm just kidding. I had to say it. That is a strangest dream that I really wanted to kill Fraser. That wasn't part of the madness. I I know exactly how you feel. I feel the same way all the time. So bloody rotten to me. No. <laughs> Well, I mean, a lot of things happened, didn't they? And um, it, it was chaos in that clock tower. Yes, you you got hurt, Richard. Um, yes, I. Uh, Are you okay? Um, I've been better, but I'm I'm still here. Well, I'm 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 sure. I Trieste, no, nothing will happen. It'll be a nice rest. We can go and see some sights. Maybe you know, grab some tea, take some photographs, and perhaps you could get those. Once of the bridge developed, and uh, well, we could maybe wind down, slow, slow down for a little while. Oh, that would be that would be nice after Venice, and hopefully Paul can fix both of hopefully Paul can fix both of us up. Yes, I'm only leaking a little bit now, but uh... so for the rest of you, uh, the train has come to a halt, and you're beginning to collect your things. With the space of the train not taken up so much. It's a lot easier to move in and out. Although there are a couple of people here who are also in wheelchairs, bath chairs, that sort of thing to, to, to move about. There's a couple of, looks like retainers, maybe staff or that sort of thing that are helping a, an older gentleman out. And then there's a clutch of three or four women that are traveling together with the, a smaller child probably four or five years old. And the big thing that those of you who are already out in the hallways getting ready to disembark feel, uh, or as you get out of your staterooms to head out, is you feel the wind come through the train. And it's pretty cold. I think Fraser will have um, got himself together before they arrive in the station and uh, just chapped Lady Elizabeth's door and ask her if uh, she requires any assistance and just let her know that we're about to uh, pull into the station. Thank you, Fraser. I think I can manage. Very good. Um, I'll, uh, I'll see about when we disembark, uh, arranging uh, hotel rooms for us. That would be wonderful. Thank you. I'm quite tired, as I'm sure the rest of us are as well. Yes, uh, yes, indeed. Yes, I had intended to do so from, uh, from Venice, but, uh, well, what with one thing and another... At the moment, I'm just grateful we got out. As am I, your ladyship, as am I. We head out and uh, take a look for who might be transporting passengers at this hour. It's uh, it's 8 o'clock, so it's not impossibly late. But um, as you step out from the train and into the station, Mr. Fraser, uh, that wind is something fierce. That's probably unlike any sort of wind that you felt in recent memory. And you can tell just from scanning the space outside of the train station, which is not nearly as, we'll say, well done as the one in Venice, or Paris for that matter, either. There are no um, horses out tonight. 
and that immediately tips you off that the weather is maybe something you were not ready for. I was just going to ask, actually, was there anything in the Traveler's Guide to indicate that uh, Trieste has a colder climate at this time of year, um, whether it's uh, in higher up in altitude? Advice to travelers, the uh, station is to the north of the town. Hotel omnibuses, horse cabs, and taxi cabs await to take the traveler to their hotel. Electric tramways run along the main thoroughfares. Local dishes have a strong eastern flavor, being heavy on paprika and other spices. Sounds fantastic to this Greek. A local specialty is Sardanian Savour. I'll probably mispronounced that terribly. Sardines marinated in oil and garlic. A large fish market by the uh, quay provides much of the local diet. An early morning visit to this fish market provides an interesting local excursion. Well, we'll pop down to the quay for a wee visit in the fish market then in the morning, I dare say. I don't see anything directly here that talks about the weather. Okay. It just says that uh, there's a city by a busy seaport in northwestern Italy. Oh, the next page says about the weather. That it's generally mild, however, in winter it is blighted by a wind known as the Bora. The Bora can blow at up to 200 kilometers per hour. Fantastic. And is so strong that on the steeper slopes of the old town lengths of chain are, or lengths of chain are looped at waist height along the curb so that pedestrians can actually make progress when heading into the wind. So not entirely unexpected then. And if you've read your traveler's guide before arriving here, it might mean something. But now we know, and knowing is half the battle. So that said, um, those of you who might have spent some time reading along the way would be slightly aware of the wind. Uh, When you exit the train... Before you get the full blast of wind, Mr. Fraser, you notice that the Orient Express staff porters are wearing coats, like heavier mm. coats. Mm-hmm. And that is your first inclination that there might be a weather coming your way that's a little colder. Okay. Uh, a cold front coming in from the east. So, yes, I think um, I will uh, hail a porter and arrange getting our bags um, taken off the train and... Um, and also ask about hotels and uh, transport to hotels, whether we need to take the tram or whether there are taxis or anything like that about. Certainly. The porter mentions here there are a couple of hotels, depending upon the view that you want, depending upon the establishment type that you want. So there's views over the Gulf. He points you to a, a Hotel de Ville. And there are some other, he said, more modest establishment, Metropole, and then the central. He points them out on a, a map of Trieste he has in hand. Almost a pocket-sized version of the map of the city. Um, I think I'll ask him if these uh, maps are available at the uh, booking office or at uh, a local... Um, I, t- I presume these people speak English. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Staff, yeah. Uh, he said that they are available at the local office if you'd like, but I'm happy to relinquish mine to you, sir. On such a cold evening. That's very kind of you. Uh, yes, it is uh, rather chilly. Uh, is, this, uh, is this usual weather here for this time of year? The Bora, yes. Uh, it does see it blows every year. And uh, hold on to your hat, if you would, sir. Uh, uh, point well taken, yes. Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, thank you very much for this. Um, I'll, uh, do you have a telephone here at the station? Uh, make, uh, make inquiries as to uh, rooms at the hotel. Uh, Certainly, certainly to your left there. Very good, thank you. So while the rest of you are 
uh, packaging your things up uh, and uh, preparing. The, uh, the porters are bringing suitcases around and you're sort of getting ready to get off the train. Uh, Fraser, when you get to the offices, there's a phone on the outside of the desk that they direct you to. And then it really is somewhere of a pick and choose as far as what kind of establishment you want to stay in. Uh, something that uh, would be in keeping with um, what her ladyship come to expect. Um, I think so, uh, ideally, if if I can get an idea of whether one of them has got a suite um, where we can have rooms and a, a little um, uh, sort of um, sit, sit, sitting area, sitting room area, shared shared communal area, um, that that I think would be best, so that we're not just doors onto a corridor. Yeah. So they direct you to a relatively close location, the Hotel De La Ville. It's uh, not too terribly far from where you're at now in the station. They say it's going to be the quickest, especially if you're, they ask you if you're a large or a small party. And when you tell them that there's, you know, about six of you, they say uh, the De La Ville would probably be best. Plus it's right on the Gulf and you'd get some amazing views of, of the water. Oh, splendid. Uh, and I take it they have a, a restaurant facilities and the like there? Oh, absolutely. Completely full full sort of hotels. No no expense spared. Splendid, splendid, splendid. Yes, indeed. Well, I'll telephone them then and uh, make a booking and uh, um, tell them that we'll, we'll be there within half an hour or so, I suppose. Certainly. Uh, they tell you to mind the cold. Of course. Yeah. And then I'll head back to the others. The rest of you have managed to gather your things. I think I'm going to give Lady Elizabeth an occult roll before she leaves. Just sort of a summation of all of her additional reading. Okay. Let's see. My occult is at 60. And I rolled an 89. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So uh, you get a fair amount of information on a totally different topic than what you were looking at but you hold it for a little bit because it's interesting. <laughs> like, oh, well, this isn't what I'm looking for, but I guess I'm kind of sort of tangentially interested in this just because it's something I don't know. And so you don't find anything deeper on your spontaneous mystical abilities, but it doesn't mean that it was a total loss. It was a quiet train ride. You were not bothered at all, and you were in complete comfort in, by comparison to what you were going through in Venice. So it's a win. Three, three uninterrupted hours of reading time in comfort. Absolutely. No one speaking to me about being a god or interrupting me or loud Americans talking in the hallways. Bliss. <laughs> uh, and so the group uh, comes back together. Uh, Mr. Fraser has made his booking. Uh, the porters, while you were away, took the initiative of Mr. Fraser and they uh, called a cab for you all. Oh, splendid. Um, so they just tell you wherever you need to go, we can uh, we can let the driver know and they'll they'll take you. The express is um, the system plan is trying to do what it can to um, compensate its passengers from Venice after the uh, unfortunate ordeals there. Sure, um, I would imagine with six of us, we quite possibly need uh, two. Yeah, you will. Two, one purely half of one purely just for the luggage. Mm-hmm. Um, but the six of you gather down there into the uh, autos and then are whisked just a few blocks away to where the hotel is. And I think 
that is where we're going to call this episode to a close. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Horror on the Orient Express. We have left behind the plague and the darkness of Venice with the cold wind that blows in northwestern Italy. Thank you and good night.